The products discussed in this podcast are only available in the United States. Hello and welcome to the Loomis Sales Full Discretion Funds Quarterly Update Podcast, where the portfolio managers share their thoughts on the markets and their strategies. Um, my name is Erica Cassell. Thanks for listening. Um, and today I'm here with Brian Kennedy, uh, one of the portfolio managers on the full discretion team at Loomis. Thanks for joining us again, Brian. Oh, thanks for having me again. Absolutely. And I think we'll have um, a pretty fun discussion since we really ended the year. Q4 was awesome for fixed income markets as far as total return goes. And really, it was good for markets in general. From your perspective, what do you think the major catalysts in the market were that led to that strong end of your rally? Yeah, we've really seen a, a month like December or like the last six weeks of the year like we did uh, this past year. We were joking that we actually had a really good year in the last month. Uh, a, a few things, I, I think, uh, drove the results. Uh, certainly a confirmation uh, of growth uh, in the U.S. Uh, there had been so many uh, prognosticators talking about a recession earlier in the year, and the markets had reacted to that. And as the year went on and uh, we did see some stability of growth, uh, we definitely uh, uh, saw the market start to pick up. But certainly, uh, you know, 4.9% GDP print in the fourth quarter was, um, you know, w- was confirmation that the, uh, the economy is not slipping into recession uh, immediately in here, as many had predicted. Uh, maybe even a, a bigger issue was the uh, the moderate easing that we saw in inflation conditions, both on the CPI and the PCE prints uh, from the uh, from the quarter, and that really led to um, some changing in messaging from the Fed that perhaps the rate hikes uh, were over in here. And so, uh, you know, we did see some curve steepening because of that. Um, and the market's really uh, anticipating quite a few rate cuts uh, in 2024, and, and we'll talk a little bit about that later. But um, you know, certainly um, it was a risk-on uh, end of the year across all markets. Uh, really strong rally, and um, you know, fixed income definitely participated in that. Yes, it did. And and taking a look at the portfolios, as you mentioned, you know, that last month was very strong um, across really all of your portfolios. I mean, as a reminder. To our listeners, you know, the full discretion team does manage a, a lineup of products that range from, you know, more conservative core plus to to more re- total return and income seeking multi-sector products. But let's start with the core plus product, the investment grade bond fund. Now, the Y share class of this fund was up over 7.3%, outperforming both of its listed indices over that same three-month period. Both of those were up around six and a half just over that. Could you provide some color on what helped and hurt performance for the fourth quarter? We had a, a significant rate rally as um, you know the, the easing uh, of inflation and uh, the messaging from the Fed uh, came through, and so you had the, the two-year Treasury moving you know approximately eighty basis points lower from a five oh five down to four and a quarter uh, at the end of the year, and then the ten-year Treasury went from roughly you know four sixty down to uh, you know three and seven eighths, uh, so a really significant rally in, in rates. Um, and, and we actually uh, did extend our, our duration um, during the course of the quarter. Uh, we had been um, slightly short duration coming into the quarter uh, as we saw uh, rates uh, sort of peaking uh, in the middle of the quarter. We had extended duration via futures uh, in, the, in the Treasury market. So um, that was a, a big help uh, to the portfolio uh, over the course of the quarter. And then I'd also uh, mention that in addition to the duration component, uh, certainly, security selection 
from both high yield and investment grade were really strong uh, during the course of the quarter. So spreads tightened, uh, and we did see uh, outperformance from high yield. So names like Rocket Mortgage and Altice on the high yield side, uh, on the investment grade side, uh, a number of names that participated, uh, Glencore, Broadcom, General Motors, Micron, uh, all did very well. The areas that that lagged a little bit, and uh, I would I would say it was um, you know it was somewhat minor because they still had a positive total return. Uh, but some of the areas that we had emphasized earlier in the year and talked about the value in some of those areas, uh, shorter duration uh, areas. Uh, so some of the cash and and T bills that was in the portfolio, and then also the allocation to securitized as well. Uh, an area that um, you know does offer us a fair amount of front end yield, uh, but just from a duration component standpoint, it was not as long as um, as certainly the investment grade and 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 just didn't keep up. And then, uh, you know, we've had some idiosyncratic uh, mark to market um, hits in the portfolio during the course of the quarter that were um, you know detractors as well in areas like EM and converts. But we do still think that those are um, longer-term opportunities for some for some alpha. So, you know, overall, uh, the duration component of the portfolio was helpful in here, and I think that's something that we can talk a little bit about uh, going forward as well as as that may be of value still. And then, uh, you know, we still think that there's um, you know there's there's good opportunity in both high yield and investment grade uh, out there right now, and certainly what we saw during the course of the quarter proved that out. As we had a number of names that participated and outperformed during the course of the quarter. Great. Thank you, Brian. And next, we'll talk a little bit more about the the multi-sector products, the the bond fund and strategic income. And again, as a reminder, these portfolios do have additional flexibility to to sectors that add that additional return or little boost, um, like high yield, non-dollar, and even equities. Um, using the bond fund as a proxy, this one also had a great quarter up over 7.3% outperforming its listed benchmark, which is the, the Bloomberg U.S. government credit index. That one was up around 6.6%. What helped and hurt performance for, for both of these funds? Yeah, a very similar type of story here from um, what we just talked about on the investment grade bond side. So bond and strata are a little bit more uh, of, a, um, of an aggressive offering for us. Um, and so you do see, uh, you know, the components that we talked about in the investment grade bond fund uh, coming out here as well. Uh, the duration extension uh, via futures, uh, the steepening bias. Uh, so when I say that we're, you know, we're we're flat duration versus our benchmarks, um, but we are in essence what we're doing is overemphasizing some of the key rate duration buckets in the front end of the curve, and we're doing that because we feel like the curve's going to continue to steepen in here and normalize. Uh, as potentially we get some uh, some rate cuts in the second half of the year, so a very powerful move in, in the treasury market during the course uh, of the quarter that we took advantage of, and then also some of the same um, I would say plus components that uh, we talked about on the investment grade bond fund as well. So IG security selection investment grade bonds uh, names like Charter, uh, Barclays, uh, Glencore again, uh, and then in high yield Rocket Mortgage and Altice as well. I'd also mention in the bond fund and strategic income that we've started to make a little bit of, of an allocation to non-dollar. Uh, and so we do see some um, some opportunities there as well in areas like uh, Brazil, South Africa, Mexico have been areas where you have fairly high uh, yields in there. And then also we feel like the uh, the currencies uh, could provide a boost as well. So, um, you know, using that flexibility in these products to uh, uh, to uh, to find some ex- an additional value. And I would say, you know, some of the same 
um, negative contributors during the course of the quarter. Um, you know, on the on the emerging market side, uh, First Quantum is a uh, is a mining company, and they've had a, a mine recently shut in Panama. And I think that continues to uh, reverberate, and, and you continue to see uh, some of the um, I would say more of of the environmental concerns on mining uh, starting to to rear its head. We do think that's a, a situation that likely gets. Um, uh, resolved uh, after the elections in Panama in May. Uh, and then we mentioned securitized on the investment-grade bond fund, and I'd also say that on the bond fund uh, as well, there's an allocation in there. And the duration's roughly two, two and a half years in that area. And uh, you do see a little bit of a lag there just because of the uh, um, just the lack of duration and keeping up with, uh, with the move in rates lowered here. Great. Thank you, Brian. All right. Now, switching gears a little bit from, from attribution to outlook for, for 2024. And again, you know, investors really do seem a lot more optimistic heading into 2020, certainly more optimistic than we were, right. let's call it 12, 13 months ago when recession fears were rampant. That was the the base case for last year. Um, the last time we were together at the end of Q3, we were discussing how the team believed that we were still in the late expansion phase of the credit cycle. Has that changed at all? Or are we out of the woods for that potential recession in 2024? Yeah, we we still think we're in the expansion. Certainly, you're in the later stages uh, in here, and uh, that that that's. I would say if you look at a credit cycle and you break it out into four different quadrants, the expansion late cycle is where you spend your most amount of time during uh, any particular credit cycle. And so, um, you know, we still are there. Um, we are still expecting growth uh, in 2024, but certainly we're thinking about it um, that it's going to be lower. Uh, so slower growth than what we saw in in 2023. Um, inflation has uh, definitely moderated in here, but we would urge caution with regards to inflation. Our base case uh, is more of, of what we call an unstable inflation environment, and that's really uh, because of some of the secular forces that we've discussed in the past. Uh, something that we're calling out the four Ds, which is the um, the demographics and deficits, uh, decarbonization. Um, and deglobalization around the world, um, and we do think that those are um, are likely to continue to lead to a higher inflation environment than what we've seen in the past, maybe 15 years or, or so. And so, um, you know, our our scenarios right now are really more of a decision tree based on inflation at this point in time. And so, we do feel like um, you're still in a um, you know in a good spot as far as growth is concerned. Uh, it's not going to be. Um, the type of growth that we saw uh, last year, but we do still think that um, you know there is still a positive momentum in here. Uh, I would also add that there's expectation for profits to pick up uh, during the course of 2024 as well. So uh, you know, and we've already seen some of that priced into the equity markets in here uh, in um, in in early uh, 2024 and also last year as well. But uh, I would say that as we start 2024. Um, you know the 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 probability of recession still remains, but it's not our base case at this point in time. We continue to think that inflation will moderate, uh, but we'd be cautious around um, the idea that there's a straight line right back to the Fed's target of two percent uh, in the uh, in, in the inflation camp. Thanks, Brian. And even though it seems that as far as where we are in the credit cycle today, that's the same. You know, those those catalysts that re- led to the end of your r- rally didn't happen in a vacuum. Right. Um, yeah. How do you think those changes or how do you think that changes your team's outlook from the end of Q3 to today? 
Right. Yeah, there, there are definitely some, uh, some differences from a macro perspective versus the last time uh, we met. And, and I, I think some of that is certainly uh, based on what the market's done. But if you look at lending standards, they've become more favorable. Um, the soft landing narrative is, is dominating the, the markets in here. We've had a clear moderation um, in inflation, and you've had a change in tone from the Fed. Uh, if you think about the Fed minutes most recently, there's actually talk about QT perhaps being uh, moderated uh, at some points in time. Um, you know, the liquidity measures continue to be really strong uh, in the market right now. If I think about geopolitics um, and I look at what's going on in the Red Sea and some of the shipping issues in there, uh, you know, there continues to be, um, you know, a, a problem uh, as far as um, you know, different factions trying to draw maybe the U.S. And, and some of its allies into a larger war in the Middle East. And so that bears watching. And I think that has some implications for the oil market. You know, certainly we think that the oil market, oil market as far as prices are concerned, are going to continue to be very well supported in here based on uh, just the, uh, the supply cuts that continue to, uh, to reverberate through the world. So, so there's a number, I think, of things that are, have changed from a macro perspective that have led to some of the rally that we've seen in here. And I do think that a lot of those bode well for um, you know, for the, the the outlook for 2024. And again, uh, you know, we're not calling for a raging bull market in here. But I, again, I would say that there's, uh, I would say, cautious optimism around the continuation of this expansion uh, as we head into the early uh, early stages of 24. We'll take cautious optimism. That's <laughs> yeah. fine. Um, and I guess that what kind of goes along with that, as you mentioned, you know, there does seem to be a strong sentiment that given that we're seeing, you know, continued improvement in inflation, um, that the Fed cut is imminent as far as interest rates are concerned. Um, does the team think that that's the case? And if so, what do we think the path of the Fed is going to be? Yeah, I I. I, I... Our base case is the Fed's um, likely in play in 2024, but we do think the market's gotten a little bit ahead of itself as far as the number of, of rate cuts. We're pricing in roughly 150 basis points in rate cuts right now. Uh, and, and that seems to us to be a little bit too much. Um, you know, I, I mentioned uh, the change in the language around the last Fed minutes as far as QT is concerned and the potential for. Um, you know the market to uh, to have to try to uh, to uh, maybe absorb a little bit more supply um, in the treasury market at some point in time. But um, you know QT to me is the first I think step towards um, maybe normalization of policy over the course of the year. Um, you know our our sense is that you may get another. Uh, message from the Fed at the next meeting, uh, talking about QT and, and then potentially setting something up for, um, you know, for possibly a, a little bit less um, of of the QT um, action in later in the first quarter. So um, that all leads up to potentially seeing a rate cut in maybe June uh, of this year. And and so you know we think you could see as much as 100 basis points in rate cuts in 24. Um, and but it's likely to be more in the second half. Uh, of the year. Uh, I don't know that the timing of the cuts is as important as the message um, that the cuts are coming. And the market certainly has priced a lot of that in right now. Um, but I do think you'll start to see uh, a little bit of movement in the front end of the curve once those cuts are starting to be more confirmed in there. The two-year more or less moves with what Fed policy is. And so when we talk about um, you know our, our bias towards a, a steepener as far as our duration positioning is concerned, 
it's because we think that the Fed's likely to be in play at some point uh, this year. Although we do think the market's, again, a little bit ahead of itself as far as the number of rate cuts is concerned. And again, I would go back to our base case, which is unstable inflation. And we do think that um, you know this is this is not a straight line back to uh, to the Fed's target for for uh, for long as far as you know overall inflation is concerned. Thanks, and and thanks for bringing that up because if we if we switch gears a little bit now to positioning for for this next quarter, you know your team has taken a pretty favorable view on adding duration, which as you mentioned did help performance certainly in the last month or, or six weeks of the year. After that rally, though, um, at the very end of Q4, are you still finding duration attractive? And and how are you thinking about positioning the portfolios? We came into the fourth quarter about a half a year short duration. And again, emphasizing the front end of the curve, thinking about a steepener in here. You know, as the tenure, uh, you know, got closer to, to 5% at the end of October, we did use futures to extend the duration and emphasize, again, those two and five-year key rate duration buckets. Um, but uh, we were so we were roughly even with the benchmark through the end of November, and then we had this this just this enormous rally in rates in, in December, you know, down to around 380 on tens, and and we reduced duration again uh, into the last week um, and ended roughly about a half a year short, uh, but again maintaining that steepening bias. So we do think that um, the market again had gotten a little bit ahead of itself. With as far as rate cuts were concerned, as far as um, the level of treasuries overall, so we did take the opportunity near the end of the year um, to uh, to uh, to position ourselves a little bit shorter uh, on the curve uh, as opposed to had where we had been uh, maybe a month earlier. So we come into the year a little bit short duration. Uh, again, feeling like the unstable inflation outlook uh, will likely lead us uh, to you know a roughly two and a half to three and a half percent inflation. Uh, band over the course of this year. So, um, you know, I, I, we do appreciate the fact that we have flexibility in these products, the ability to use futures. And so we can, we can more or less move that around as we want to pretty quickly. And, and as you mentioned, you know, 2023 will end up looking like a risk rally on right. paper. Um, and as far as how you're, you're approaching maybe the portions of the credit market, how are you viewing the, the attractiveness of the investment-grade universe versus the high-yield universe today? Yeah, we look at uh, really want to look at risk premiums. And so if we look at just spreads today, high-yield at the end of the year was at 323 investment grades at 99. But we think risk premiums are a much better measure uh, of overall value in both of those markets because they take into consideration losses from downgrades on the investment grade side and also from defaults um, on the high yield side. Um, right now, we, we look at risk premiums and say they're fair uh, at this point for both of those markets. Um, the losses from both the downgrades and defaults remain below historical averages. That's what we think is going to happen uh, in this year as well. If I think about the high yield market uh, in particular, there's not a lot of debt coming due in 2024 in high yield. So the refinancing risk um, in high yield is not as elevated as it has been at other points in time in the past. Uh, on the investment grade side, we've seen significant supply already to start uh, 2024. We had better than $50 billion in new issues the first week uh, of 2024. So, um, you know, that could potentially push, um, you know, buyers to uh, into a little bit of a strike uh, and, and maybe ask for a little bit more valuation uh, on, on, um, on, on new deals uh, as we begin the market. And, you know, as you know, one of our pillars uh, is, is new issue premium. And so there may be some opportunities to, uh, to add 
um, on a more of an idiosyncratic basis on the investment grade side, you know, as we get into this year. But coming into the year, you know, I would say overall, it's it's the markets are fair. Um, you know, we, we love the level of yield in these markets right now, just given where Treasuries are. Um, and you know, coming into this, it does look like it's a little bit more of a carry situation in here right now. So, you know, the backdrop economically continues to be pretty good. So we want to have uh, risk in the portfolio. We want to have yield uh, in here right now, and we feel pretty comfortable with the levels that we're at. Final question, and of course, your team is really known for for their bottom-up security selection focus, particularly within credit. Um, and your team incorporates these six pillars of security selection, which are fallen angels, cheaper rating, upgrade candidates, distressed, avoid the losers, and new issue premium. Um, what pillars are you finding most attractive today? And could you give us an example? Yeah, I mentioned new issue premium, and and certainly there's been a I, I would I don't think it's an, a, an exaggeration to call it a deluge of issuance coming into the year. There was really some you could see it coming uh, at the end of last year. So I I do think there's some opportunities in that new issue space uh, to pick up additional uh, yield in there. Uh, I would also say that upgrade candidates continue to be a focus for us late in the cycle in here, um, and I'd point to an area like cruise lines, uh, so Royal Caribbean. Uh, Carnival, uh, both upgrade candidates in our minds. And so uh, the cruise lines have experienced a, a real renaissance in here uh, post-COVID, uh, where they were you know, pretty much shut down. Uh, very cheap alternative vacation option for people at this point. Consumers continue to spend. Uh, the backlog for bookings in cruise lines is tremendous right now. So we do still feel like there's an opportunity for both of those companies to deliver over time. Uh, and um, you know, and those are positions that we'd like to add to over time. And then I'd also look at a company like Semex, uh, which is a cement producer in uh, in Mexico. And we continue to think that that's cheap for rating. Again, uh, we do think that there's upgrade potential there as well. But we do think it's cheap for the ratings right now. Um, you know, largely based in Mexico, but also with operations here in the U.S. So very strong pricing power uh, in that business right now. And uh, and we and we feel like, think that that continues. And so um, you know, a couple of examples of, of the pillars that. We're, that we're putting to work today. Great. Thank you so much, Brian. I really appreciate you coming in and sharing your thoughts. And for listeners, if you'd like to learn more about the Loomis Full Discretion Funds and about Brian and his team run the strategies, please reach out to your Natixis wholesaler or you can visit us on our website at im.natixis.com. Important information standard performance as a percentage for the Loomis Sales Investment Grade Bond Fund as of December 31st, 2023. Class Y, 3 month 7.34%, year to date 7.50%, 1 year 7.50%, 3 years minus 1.50%, 5 years 3.08%, 10 years 2.74%, Class A, 3 month 7.27%, year to date 7.34%, 1 year 7.34%, 3 years minus 1.72%, 5 years 2.84%, 10 years 2.50%, Class A with 4.25% maximum sales charge 3 months 2.66%, year to date 2.75%, 1 year 2.75%, 3 years minus 3.14%, 5 years 1.95%, 10 years 2.05%, Standard performance as a percentage for the Loomis Sales Bond Fund as of December 31, 2023, Retail Class 3 month 7.32%, year to date 7.83%, 1 year 7.83%, 3 years minus 1.06%, 5 years 1.90%, 10 years 1.85%, institutional class, 3 month 7.34%, year to date 8.05%, 1 year 8.05%, 3 years minus 0.81%, 5 years 2.15%, 10 years 2.10%, 
Top 10 Holdings for the Luma Sales Investment Grade Bond Fund as of December 31, 2023, Company Percent of Portfolio U.S. Treasury Notes, 4.625%, June 30, 2025, 1.9%, U.S. Treasury Bonds, 3.250%, May 15, 2042, 1.9%, U.S. Treasury Bonds, 2.250%, February 15, 2052, 1.1%, U.S. Treasury Notes, 4.875%, November 30, 2025, 1.0%, U.S. Treasury Bonds, 2.000%, November 15, 2041, 0.8%, JP Morgan Chase & Company, 4.125%, December 15, 2026, 0.7%, Glencore Funding LLC, 6.500%, October 6, 2033, 0.7%, Bank of America Court, fixed rate to September 15, 2033, variable rate thereafter, 5.872%, September 15, 2034, 0.6%, Goldman Sachs Group, Inc., fixed rate to August 23, 2027, variable rate thereafter, 4.482%, August 23, 2028, 0.6%, Semex SAB DCV, 3.875%, July 11, 2031, 0.5%. Performance data listed represents past performance and is no guarantee of, and not necessarily indicative of, future results. Total return and value will vary, and you may have a gain or loss when shares are sold. Current performance may be lower or higher than quoted. For most recent month-end performance, visit imnatixis.com. Performance for other share classes will be greater or less than shown based on differences in fees and sales charges. Performance for periods less than one year is cumulative, not annualized. Returns reflect changes in share price and reinvestment of dividends and capital gains, if any. For the Loomis Sales Investment Grade Bond Fund, gross expense ratio 0.80%, Class A share, 0.55, Class Y share, net expense ratio 0.74%, Class A share, 0.49%. Class Y share, as of the most recent prospectus, the investment advisor has contractually agreed to waive fees and or reimburse expenses, with certain exceptions once the expense cap of the fund has been exceeded. This arrangement is set to expire on April 30, 2024. When an expense cap has not been exceeded, the gross and net expense ratios may be the same. For the Loomis Sales Bond Fund, gross expense ratio 0.93%, retail class, 0.68%, institutional class, net expense ratio 0.91%, retail class, 0.66%, institutional class. As of the most recent prospectus, the investment advisor has contractually agreed to waive fees and or reimburse expenses, with certain exceptions once the expense cap of the fund has been exceeded. This arrangement is set to expire on April 30, 2025. When an expense cap has not been exceeded, the gross and net expense ratios may be the same. Loomis Sales Investment Grade Bond Fund Risks Fixed Income Securities may carry one or more of the following risks. Credit. Interest rate. As interest rates rise bond prices usually fall. Inflation and liquidity. Foreign and emerging market securities may be subject to greater political, economic, environmental, credit, currency and information risks. Foreign securities may be subject to higher volatility than U.S. securities, due to varying degrees of regulation and limited liquidity. These risks are magnified in emerging markets. Below investment grade fixed income securities may be subject to greater risks, including the risk of default, than other fixed income securities. Mortgage-related and asset-backed securities are subject to the risks of the mortgages and assets underlying the securities. Other related risks include prepayment risk, which is the risk that the securities may be prepaid, potentially resulting in the reinvestment of the prepaid amounts into securities with lower yields. Loomis Sales Bond Fund Risks Fixed Income Securities may carry one or more of the following risks. Credit. Interest rate. As interest rates rise bond prices usually fall. Inflation and liquidity. Below investment grade fixed income securities may be subject to greater risks, including the risk of default, than other fixed income securities. 
foreign and emerging market securities may be subject to greater political, economic, environmental, credit, currency and information risks. Foreign securities may be subject to higher volatility than U.S. securities, due to varying degrees of regulation and limited liquidity. These risks are magnified in emerging markets. Currency exchange rates between the U.S. dollar and foreign currencies may cause the value of the fund's investments to decline. Equity securities are volatile and can decline significantly in response to broad market and economic conditions. The Bloomberg U.S. Government Credit Bond Index is the non-securitized component of the U.S. Aggregate Index and was the first macro index launched by Barclays Capital. The U.S. Government Credit Index includes treasuries, i.e., public obligations of the U.S. Treasury that have remaining maturities of more than one year, government-related issues i.e., agency, sovereign, supranational, and local authority debt, and corporates. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit imnatixis.com or call 800-862-4863 for a prospectus or a summary prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully. This material is provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment advice. There can be no assurance that developments will transpire as forecasted. Actual results may vary. The views and opinions expressed are as of January, 2024 and may change based on market and other conditions. Natixis Distribution LLC is a limited-purpose broker-dealer and the distributor of various registered investment companies for which advisory services are provided by affiliates of Natixis Investment Managers. Natixis Distribution, LLC, Fund Distributor, Member FINRA, SIPC, and Loomis, Sales & Company, LP are affiliated. Ad Tracks, 1468933351, Expiration Date, April 30, 2024, POD 96 December, 2023.